Hello, and welcome to The Breathwork Club, a podcast designed to help you connect with your breathing. My name is Brian Malone, and thank you very much for joining. This week's episode is a first for the podcast, and is an interview that I did with the meditation teacher and author, Connor Crichton. Connor is someone whose work I have found a lot of value in for a while. He does a really good job of making meditation accessible and also applicable to our day-to-day lives. He has a lot of great resources on his website, free meditations on SoundCloud, and he's about to release a book called This Is It, which is available for pre-order on Eason's. I've never interviewed someone before, so this will probably not be the most polished thing you've ever listened to, and will probably sound more like just two dudes having a chat, which to be honest, is the way I probably would have wanted it to be. I'm very grateful to Connor for finding the time to have this chat, and also for guiding a short little meditation that you will hear towards the end of the episode, and which we will also make available separately. And so here's my chat with Connor. I hope you find it useful. So, first of all, uh, Connor, thank you very much for for um, for taking the time to have this conversation. It's a real, um, it's a real privilege, real honor to get to have this chat with you. How are you doing? Uh, very good and uh, likewise like I've always uh, admired what you're doing from from afar from from my little screen to your little <laughs> screen and uh, it's it's very nice to be part of this like I do love I love the breathwork club and what you do there so um, thank you appreciate lovely it to have a chat with you um how is your morning going so far uh I actually just was only thinking when I was getting set up to have this chat, do you have any sort of like morning routine or do you have any particular way you like to spend your mornings or anything like that or just take the day as it comes? Yeah, um, I do have a morning routine and I'm loopy if, if I don't have that morning routine. I notice, I notice the days when I get my morning routine kind of gets a little out of kilter or say you're like back in the days when we could travel a bit more, you know, and you, you wouldn't get to do your routine. I would notice a little drop off in my chill so my, my morning routine is normally like I just it very simply I just wake up and the first thing I do uh, is meditate um, so that's and that's anything from like 20 minutes to an hour um, but but this morning actually I was just sort of curious so I actually did a kind of a I did a, a Wim Hof breathing session okay just because I was chatting to someone about it last night and I hadn't done Wim Hof. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't done like Wim Hof breathing. And then I was thinking about you and I was thinking about breath work. And I was like, oh, I should, shouldn't get too stuck in my ways. Maybe I'll try something different for a change, you know? <laughs> and so you hadn't done Wim Hof breathing ever before? It was your first time? No, I, 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 had, I had done it before, but I just hadn't done it in a very long time. And it almost kind of like, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were just going on about how it had changed their life. And... Um, you know how people tend to talk about how things change their life very, very readily. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, shit, I, I remember Wim Hof and I remember doing it and thinking it was great. I should give it another go again. So I did. And I, I thought it was, uh, maybe it even changed my life a little. 
Right. <laughs> you know, because me with, with Wim Hof, um, I used to practice Wim Hof every day, or the Wim Hof method every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was actually quite lucky that I got to spend a, bit, a little bit of time with Wim Hof. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't train with him necessarily, but he hosted this um, this thing called a weekend with Wim. And it was the first one yeah. that I ever did. Uh, it was cheap for what it was. Um, yeah. And when we were going to do it, it was me and uh, a yoga teacher called Art, uh, Mike Hart. And then I think, do you know Con Sheehan? Do you know Con? Maybe, I'm not sure, no. Okay, well, it was me, Art, and Con. We went over. And um, yeah. the way it was advertised was like, there was other Wim Hof instructors were supposed to be there. Uh, and so it was quite cheap. So I thought it was going to be the case that like he'd show up on the first day and be like, hey and then you'd be with the other instructors for the rest of the day but it was like literally as advertised it was a weekend with Wim it was on his house uh there was like no real structure it was just him kind of like rambling <laughs> for a weekend and it was amazing um but okay. although through yoga I sort of it was through yoga that I kind of got my first experience of um very consciously working with your breathing mm. in certain ways I sort of yeah. considered the Wim Hof method was sort of like my, um, my, uh, I don't know how to really describe it. It was like kind of a, it was the real sort of like head first dive into how impactful breath work can really be. Uh, Cause I think mm -hmm. Wim Hof as a method really does kind of like grab you by the, the shoulders and give you a bit of a shake. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I don't, I, I, I've got out of the habit of practicing it daily because I actually, I sometimes find as impactful as the Wim Hof method was on me uh, and I still practice the cold exposure regularly. Um, I yeah. find the breathing, to practice it every day, for me at least, is a little bit intense. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I can totally relate to that. And I think that's probably why I've never re consistently done Wim Hof. Every time I've done it, I've like, well, that's a cool experience. And mm. um, that's interesting. But um, I've never got into the habit of doing it every day. Mm. And probably for that exact same reason that I'm like, it's, it's not gentle. No, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's something, it's something. It's, it's, it's it, a beautiful thing. Like it's, I would yeah. fully recommend people to explore it and try it. And again, I really do feel it's it's this amazing eye opener to to the mm. impact of 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 conscious breathing. Um, but yeah, personally, I find to practice it regularly. I usually kind of like if I'm feeling a little bit lethargic or a little bit tired, um, and I know I have kind of like quite a few things to do with with the day. Um, I'll practice it a little bit. But uh, yeah, I I was a little bit kind of religious with it for a while in the sense that I I do my three rounds of the breathing and I time my retentions and I almost yeah. got a little bit kind of like the thing with timing the retentions that if I did you know a not so good breath retention I'm, like, oh, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so bad at holding my breath <laughs> and I felt like that kind of approach to it was almost starting to be a little bit counterproductive um, but it's still yeah. I find it really valuable practice. I think I think I think perhaps the danger with with Wim Hof and I and I, I don't know if the technique is designed in this way, but I think it's just it does feed into this goal orientated habit of our brain to like always be in this constant state of 
improving mm. rather than accepting. You know, and I mean, that, that that's sort of like, I also know that when I've done it with the breath retention, of course, there's a huge competitive element that comes up in me. And I'm like, oh, I only got two and a half minutes. Oh, what's, what's, what's wrong? And then you start, you know, the little whips come out and you start to torture yourself. You're like, oh, you're the worst retainer of air. And this <laughs> and this stuff. But, which is where I prefer like kind of meditation as a sort of gentle, just sort of a place you wander into and explore with absolutely no goals in mind. Yeah, yeah. And I feel there's so many different avenues we can take towards self-improvement and self-understanding but i feel as a whole um as as a a culture at large i think Mm. the slightly more gentle approaches are a little bit more beneficial (laughs) i think stuff like wim hof can be amazing to kind of like you know, shake you up a little bit, kind of give you that boost. Um, but I, I, I think it does kind of need to be balanced out as well with things that are a little bit more. Um, yeah. During maybe not that Wim Hof can't be, but it definitely does have a yeah. slightly more macho. I guess would maybe be one of the ways I describe it. Is this is a little bit of a kind of a macho buzz to it. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with that though? As a in the in the kind of the the, the yogic world, right? where the, I know there's a lot of people who come to yoga as a kind of, you know, it's sort of, it, it's a little bit like a kind of a hit class with an element of woo-woo attached to it for some people. You know what I mean? We're like, I'm coming in to do my yoga. I'm going to make it all about like pumping, yeah. sweat and feeling worn out. <laughs> and, you know, and, and you kind of know that like, you know, it's actually a deeply spiritual practice for mm. really, it's all about kind of coming into a place of, uh, I don't know, like accepting the mind and things like that. I mean, how do you, um, how do you balance what I guess is probably a misinterpretation of yoga with, I'm sure, some people, and then also so, allowing them to misinterpret it and just enjoy it anyway. Yeah. So in one sense, um, I, my classes that I teach, I would consider a little bit more gentle. Um, yeah. I, I definitely don't think my class is a class where you necessarily break a sweat. Um, I like yeah. to teach things that are active. I like to think teach things where mm. you are learning how to control your your body in a, in a kind of more mindful way. But I my preference in terms of physical yoga practice, at least, is is to kind of approach as a practice of like self sensing, and um, where it's the most important thing isn't exactly what you do or how you do it or What's more important for me is that you're just kind of like noticing what you do, <laughs> whatever it is. And then mm. through that kind of practice of self-sensing, we can maybe begin to direct the physical practice in maybe a more nurturing way. And for some people, getting stronger is nurturing. Um, but for a lot of people, getting softer in a way or, or, or less tense or yes, yes. distributing tension maybe in a slightly more um, mm. mindful way. But it was something that I that I struggled with a little bit um, for a while because I don't know if it maybe be similar uh, with you with teaching what you teach. But one of the things that I struggle with quite a lot as a teacher is that when you teach kind of group practices, it's sort of hard to know what's going to be good for everybody because everybody is kind of starting uh, from a different place. Um, so to a certain extent, what I what I try to do in my own 
uh, thoughts at least is I'm kind of sharing what I think it's going to be beneficial to share and the people who are in a place where it's going to be kind of valuable for them to pick those things up amazing uh, but if there is someone who comes to my class and I can kind of tell they just want to kind of like sweat and do loads of like uh, some salutations and stuff like that and maybe they might be feel held back in a sense at the kind of slower pace that I would teach at um, to kind of let them be a little bit frustrated with the fact that I'm not kind of um, <laughs> because I feel yeah, like yeah. we all kind of we all we yeah. all sort of find our way um we're all going in the same direction basically and some of us are just on slightly different paths with with, with where we're going with how we're getting there um but I've, yeah. I found that a challenge I think um you know it's because it's not a nice feeling when you kind of feel someone isn't enjoying what you're <laughs> like teaching in a sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, I, that is a, I think that is a big, um, I had, I mean, when I first started teaching meditation, for example, um, and I still have this to a certain extent, you want to, you want to make sure everyone leaves with a smile on their face, or at least that was kind of the, the I was, I kind of, I think I was confusing my role with that of a stand-up. I was like, I want a round of applause and I want everyone to like have, have tears in their eyes from all the laughter. And I had to kind of, I had to kind of understand and be like, well, I can't imagine, you know, it's not really about you. Like it's the teaching. And um, like, I, I, I don't know about you, how you feel. You're probably quite accustomed to teaching now and I'm accustomed to teaching too. But at the start, I would be very nervous before I taught a class and sometimes still do get kind of, what I would consider like uncharacteristically nervous before mm -hmm. a class starts. And um, each time would kind of in these situations go, well, if you're nervous, you're making this about you mm -hmm. rather than this ancient lineage of teachings, mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with you. You're just very fortunate that you somehow have, have stumbled upon them and have been granted this wonderful opportunity to pass them on to other people. And I always, I, I would notice that like in classes, like if I was kind of concerned about how the message was landing, I would be like, well, you know, the message is good. And maybe the same way, like, you know, that like these asanas are proven and tested. So it, it's kind of it, in that way, like the more I could make it less about me, um, the more enjoyable I could find the teaching experience. Yeah, I, th I think that's a... I think for anybody teaching anything, probably that's a, a really valuable distinction to sort of find that. Uh, and I, I think it's tricky because I think teaching is such a valuable experience for the teacher in terms of their mm. own understanding of things. And, you know, to a certain extent, there's lots of things that I would teach now that I don't think I fully understood them until I started teaching them, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, 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 um, yeah totally. So I think to kind of find that little bit of a balance between teaching as a, as a self development exercise for you as, as a teacher, as a, as an individual, but then also separating that with, again, that's, yeah, this, it's not really about you <laughs> in a sense, you know, it's not, um, or, or I, I, I do feel that the role of a teacher to a certain extent is limited that, that people will only pick up from a teacher what they're capable of picking up at that moment in time. Uh, so I think finding that again, that little balance between delivering what you're there to deliver in the best way that you can, but not feeling 100% responsible for everyone's experience because you're not, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think if you do, that's when you 
probably would become an egomaniac. <laughs> That's when, you know what I mean? You start wearing the Rolexes and, and buying the Rolls Royces, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> and wearing the shades indoors. <laughs> yeah. I think we're all a little bit susceptible yeah. to that sometimes. Um, you know, yeah. I think that's, uh, you know. But I would, um, you know, I've, I've been following the stuff that you've been, that you've been putting out there over the last year. Mm. And very intently, I find a huge amount of value in it from the, the Instagram stuff you put up to the, the, the the little short books or, or manuals whatever way you want to describe them that you put out um but i don't know you that much um you know we've never met in person uh yeah. so i would love and just in a very kind of like selfish way to know a little bit more about your background um you know your upbringing your influences your basically what brought you to this point in your life which i know is kind of like a huge question but um yeah love to know. um yeah, no, you're a uh, beautiful question. Thank you. And you're going to be safe because Pat Dively asked me the exact same question the other week. Oh, and I managed to <laughs> stumble horribly through answering that one. But I think I'll be more concise. This so I, I, get the, I get the edited version. <laughs> you, get, you, get, you get the more kind of like the, the um, condensed version. But I, I think, like Brian, um, very much a kind of, I suppose I had a sort of, a, a typical Irish country upbringing, you know what I mean? Like kind of like, um, it, and sort of ran away very, very early from all of that. Like when I was 17, I left home and then just sort of traveled a lot. Mm. And uh, where, where were you going? Let me ask In Kildare, uh, down in Kildare. But we, we kind of, we traveled around a bit. Like I was born in Cork and then grew up in Belfast for a bit and then ended up in Kildare. And, um, um, I always, uh, I always kind of draw a parallel between the, the the great plains of Tibet, where the monks would experience emptiness, and the Bog of Allen. <laughs> <laughs> I feel this concept of emptiness was sort of thrust on me as a child, but I didn't kind of appreciate the big empty nothingness of the bogs of Kildare. But um, I, I think like what brought me to meditation was very much um, trying everything else. Like, like I, I think like a typical kind of a young male, like had, had big periods of depression, had anxiety, lost friends to suicide, um, had my own periods of alcoholism within an AA for a bit, you know, and all these little bits and pieces of kind of, you know, tried to find happiness through love. Mm -hmm. And that, that certainly worked, although, um, as I realized, you have to be repeatedly falling in love with different people in order for it to work on a long-term basis. And, and then tried kind of through, through work, like, you know, became a journalist for a long time and tried to become an artist for a while and, and had some sort of success in some of those areas and published novels and things like this. But in the end, like, it was very funny. I can just remember even when my first novel was published, and just this feeling of almost kind of nausea the day it came out. Because it was like, somehow, this hasn't stemmed the tide of misery in my life. It was like, I've worked so hard to try and like earn money, worked so hard to try and like find the, a, another partner who might work. I've worked so hard to like kind of write books. And, and um, each time I'd be like, holy hell, I'm back in this place again. And I, I can remember it. Like, I can remember my first time meditating. I was 33 
and I was lying on the carpet in my living room. And after having a kind of a mini panic attack, because I was about to go to the door and go outside. And then I just stopped in the door and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I just went back inside and had to hold onto the carpet. And um, feel very lucky that I have been bombarded on my Facebook feed with Headspace for like the last week. This was before I had an ad blocker on my Facebook feed. And it had just been like Headspace, Headspace, Headspace. And I tried it. And um, like, I, I very much feel like I was the, when it comes to spirituality and things like this, I'm deeply, deeply cynical. And um, and I'm very skeptical, and um, so close-minded to so much of this. So it really kind of brought me. I had to be like brought to this place where I couldn't physically get myself up off the ground to finally go. Okay, fuck it. <laughs> Let's try some of this stuff. And um, and that was it. Like the very first meditation I did, I had a tiny second where I was like, hold on. I've tapped into something very mysterious here. What could it be? I was like, there's something big and mysterious here. And I had done like, I have been in all sorts of like, I've been in all sorts of non-ordinary states before. Like I'd spent a long time, been a kind of a, a, a journalist writing about psychedelics, you know, and, and doing all sorts of retreats all over the world and, and you know, vomiting on every continent <laughs> and you know had been to these places of like like vastness and clarity and getting these sense of like oneness and interconnectedness with people but it would go away as soon as i got to the airport and was in a line again you know what i mean or as soon as that like somebody um was rude to me i'd be like what the fuck who is this person but then with meditation i noticed i was like wow this is something i can tap into without any of the props I can just get here on my own. And then very, very much just like kind of from that first day, I, I, I took a deep dive and went almost a month later, like went on a, a, a Vipassana retreat, which is a 10 day silent retreat. And then since then, like I kind of, I've, I've done quite a few of those and gone lived in monasteries and, and trained a little bit here and there. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I wake up every morning and I am just like so grateful that I have this, like, especially this year. I know there's a lot of meditators going around who were like, okay, I thought meditation was good, but I never imagined it was this good that it would save me in the last year. So um, that's kind of, yeah, my, my potted history. An interesting thing you're saying there, just, um, about being cynical towards sort of spiritual because mm. certain parts of it. Do you think there's um do you think there's a value in that kind of cynicism when it comes to when it comes to meditation in a sense? And um, like do you think there's a value in not sort of just accepting at at face value some of the kind of claims or or um you know because I, I would have experienced I don't know if it's a, a an, an Irish thing or maybe a male thing um, that I would have, I would have had that experience myself as well with certain things to do with, with mm. yoga or spirituality, whatever it is. Um, hearing people talk about certain things and just having this little inner voice in my head being like, that's fucking, that's, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's, yeah. Um, yeah. But I sort of find that I think something that I think is really valuable that we can develop from meditative practices is sort of like discernment uh, and being a little bit more, cynical maybe is not the right word but 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 
um, questioning things, I guess. Uh, so do you think there's actually kind of like almost like a value in cynicism? <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, like, yeah, like, like one of the whole, like, kind of um, the founding blocks of Zen Buddhism is this thing called the Great Doubt, and uh, it, it, when you kind of look at like the nature of like Zen Koan, these 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 short poems that are kind of not really supposed to be sensible, but they're supposed to ins- trigger a kind of a doubt, which then makes you question all existence. So I think going into m- meditation and stuff like this with a kind of a some sort of idea of like, okay, let's not um, trust every teacher who comes along with a claim. Let's kind of trust our instinct, I think is useful. But I think the other side of that, and I think the thing that kept me away from this, and possibly you too, was a certain kind of a feeling that um, this isn't my world. Like a kind of a limiting belief that would be like, I, you know, I don't, this is, this is where all like the beautiful tanned, you know, vegans hang out. Like, I'm I'm not that person. I can't go into that world. Do you know, and I think this was very much a kind of a, a kind of, I think a lot of us, especially like us males and Irish males, we, we have a certain kind of a, a, a social or psychological box that we build around us. There's certain things that we cannot do. You know, like, like you're an Irish lad, you know, you can't, um, you couldn't knit, for example. Do you know what I mean? Or you couldn't, you know, you you, you wouldn't you wouldn't want. I'm I'm saying these are kind of parts of the boxes. These aren't things that we can't actually do. But like little things where like maybe you're sitting in the passenger seat in the car and you're like, no, I should be driving. I'm I'm a male. Or little moments of kind of like oh meditation. No, that's a kind of a soft thing to do. I'm a male. I'll just go and run an ultra marathon instead. You know what I mean? Or or so I, I definitely like was coming from this place of um very kind of limited beliefs and feeling thoughts with regard to self-care where i would think no self-care that's not really something that that i do i'm an irish male i don't do yoga i don't do meditation i don't really do um you know health foods stuff like that i mean that's and um it was when i recognized this i was like christ i've been depriving myself of things that are so good for me and that i actually need for so long right yeah, I think, I think I get that kind of a, a self, um, that idea of depriving yourself of things is a really interesting idea. I think, um, because I would have, as, as growing up, I I'm very lucky that my 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 dad is a very kind of open minded dude. Um, he uh, he he did a lot of tai chi, and he kind of a communist i guess you would say the kind of communist capitalist <laughs> in, in, in one but he'd be a bit of a kind of a revolutionary at heart and he'd uh he, he would encourage me and my sisters and people in general to to, to question things particularly like sort of authority and um, and he would have wrote poetry when he was growing up he was a hippie long hair and stuff like that but um but i think as a as a, as a again as sort of like a wider culture maybe growing up we're not quite given the same sort of like tools i guess to, to to manage that sort of um to, to manage certain experiences i think and i think we do sort of end up shutting ourselves off from certain things uh, my dad brought me to to a tai chi class when i was like 15 or 16 and um at the end of it everyone sat down and, and meditated i don't even think they called it meditation i can't even remember and i actually just mm. feeling overwhelmed by the by the the experience of sitting with a group of people it was really hard to explain mm-hmm. I, I felt a little bit like sort of like just, just overwhelmed by the whole thing 
and uh, and I think in a certain sense I would have sort of thought that me feeling that like I was kind of like making a meal of it or something like I was being like dramatic you know what I mean rather than actually yeah. opening to the feelings of being overwhelmed and questioning it and being like uh, you know examining it it sort of felt more like oh no like that's 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 I'm being very dramatic here. I want to move away from that rather than towards it, I think. Um, and and I think maybe that's part of this kind of like box we create for ourselves uh, that we that we deprive ourselves of certain experiences almost as a self-protection thing, whereas we maybe would find more protection by actually, uh, by pursuing these things maybe. Yeah, I, I, think, I think so much of this ties into the idea of vulnerability. And I think this is, it's something that kind of we man, you know, and it's like, regardless of our fathers, you know, quite often we go to schools where you're with other boys. And one of the first lessons you learn in school is that, okay, you better not be vulnerable or you're going to get bullied. Mm. You're going to get picked on. So that, that means like you don't sort of, you're not overly warm with your friends. You know, you're not like, oh, I missed you so much. I like you. You know, instead we kind of slag each other. Or, you know, we, you don't kind of, if you're feeling miserable, you just, you just suck it up, you know, and, and if you kind of, if you're questioning things in your mind, or even, you know, you're, you're questioning your emotions and stuff like that, you, you do that in private, rather than sharing it with people. And so I think, I think that was very much like where I grew up. Um, that was how we operated as boys. And so then when it came to like, trying new things as I got older, I realized, oh, I actually need to be vulnerable in order to go into these spaces. I need to be vulnerable to sit in a meditation circle or even like, I remember the first time going to a yoga class mm. and just, just being a little bit kind of, um, just being overwhelmed at how confident people were just to move their bodies in a public sphere like that. And just, just this, like I had so little practice with vulnerability. Um, but I, I think as you would, you would sort of notice yourself, and this is something that I totally noticed too, is that the more we can kind of step into this place of sort of recognizing, ah, vulnerability is where I grow. Mm. Vulnerability is where I expand as a human. Um, and when we are vulnerable more often than not, we notice that we're actually held by people. You know, in a, in a yogic, in a class, when you do feel vulnerable, you go in there. You, I, I tend to feel that there is a kind of like the, that the kind of the community does tend to hold you to a certain extent. You know, it's the coming together makes it okay. Um, I think that's a very um, it's it it seems to be a very kind of central focus of what you do, and I think a very kind of inspiring part of what you do is the the kind of examination of masculinity. Um, mm. and almost the deconstruction of masculinity, I, I maybe think, or, or, or at least trying to, to, to move masculinity to a more, uh, maybe that's not the right way to put it, but maybe to, to, to reshape our concepts of masculinity in a sense. Um, mm. And I was just wondering, within that work that you do, one, how do you feel it gets received uh, in general? But also, two, did, 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 did you... Did you feel a sense of, 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 of vulnerability or resistance or even like a little bit scared of sort of stepping into that space yourself as a teacher? Um, 
you know did you find that a challenge yeah it's probably the scariest thing i've done do you know what i mean like it was very it's um easily the scariest thing i've done was like by outing myself as like here i want to like create places for lads to come together and be emotional <laughs> but i remember it was like like i played on a football team and um i quit the football team just because i just remember i was like i'm so sick of being shouted at Mm. And then by like having little fights with my friends because they're saying, oh, you're not trying hard enough. And they've been like, you're not trying hard enough. Do you know, when little things like this, I was like, this is just, this just feels a mess. Mm. And I remember at the time I had a, a partner and um, she would organize these monthly full moon women's gatherings. And I would call it the witch club. And uh, they just, they'd come around and I'd say, what do you do there? And she'd be like, yeah, we, we talk about our moon cycles and our period. And we, we, we talk about kind of um, like kind of the sex we're having with our partners. And we talk about our feelings and we, we discuss books together. And I was like, that is wild. Imagine getting to that stage with a group of men. And so that, that was kind of, in a way, like I was so jealous of what she had that that's when I started first off uh, the Berlin Boys Club. And um, it was just something where I was like, hey, are, are there any other guys out there who would like to come together and have real talk? You know, where we would come together without drink and we wouldn't slag each other. And um, that for me was diving off a cliff. I was just... I, remember I, put, I put it up on social media if anybody wanted to come. And the very first or event that I organized, there was one other guy, Alberto, who came along. And we talked about, he, he was like uh, becoming a feminist and he was trying to learn about feminism. And um, we just talked about what, how it is to like, what feminism might mean to a guy. And, and then slowly it just kind of went from that. And it's sort of been something that I've been doing now for guess about about eight years as well now um and just kind of like also just sort of um, trying to work on my like you mentioned this whole deconstructing masculinity and it's not so much I don't think it's so much deconstructing masculinity as deconstructing the boxes around masculinity so and um I've noticed a hell of a lot has just been happening for me in that area where I can kind of um you know, don't always feel that I have to be, that I have to swallow my emotions. I can share how I'm feeling. Um, and can, you know, it's, it's beautiful. I'm trying to get into the habit now, and particularly in this year, of when I sign off on a phone call from a friend, just going, I love you. <laughs> and I'm trying to normalize it. But every time I do it, it's still a little bit hard. I yeah. notice I'm like, ooh, ooh. That, doesn't, that feels a bit weird. Um, yeah. I yeah. um, it's funny, so I would have played a lot of football as a kid, um, yeah, and I would have been the guy shouting. That would have been me. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was a little tyrant when I played football. Uh, like looking yeah. back, and like a really horrible person to play football with. I would have shouted at my teammates. I would have shouted at the ref. I would have shouted at the coach. My dad would have been on yeah. the sidelines. We'd shouting at my dad. Uh, yeah. Anyone that was within shouting distance, I would have been shouting at them. Um, and what I, what I, one of the things that, uh, that really sort of, one of the things that really helped me develop, I think, as, as, as a person was realizing that often these little 
habits we get into, whether it's uh, mm. whether it's it's shouting at people, losing your temper, um, closing yourself off from things, or being vulnerable and open, are sort of habits that we get into, and they're usually habits or strategies that just make us feel safe in a certain way uh, that make us feel um, in control of our experience in a certain way, I think. And what I've sort of gotten a little bit better at recognizing, I think, through contemplative uh, practices is actually the sort of uh, the options that are available in sort of like every moment, if you know what I mean. Um, that over the last two years in particular, I think I feel like I've, um, you know, still, still, a lot of things to, to work on as, as always, but, you know, for example, so I haven't lost my temper in maybe two or three years, I think maybe, um, where I would have before lost my temper all the time. And it's not a case that I haven't had moments where I would lose my temper, if you know what I mean? Like, it's mm. not like there isn't these moments where I wouldn't um, follow that little path. Uh, but I've now gotten better at recognizing that there's other options available that I don't, just because I feel a little bit disappointed about a certain situation doesn't mean I have to scream and shout and, uh, and, and, and get all hot-headed. And I think little things that you're, that you're speaking of there, like, you know, just getting in the habit of saying you love your friends and getting in the habit of, uh, of, of expressing how you're feeling, that, that, that it's, uh, it, it, it becomes easier over time, I think. It just becomes a little bit more natural. Um, yeah the kind of the just the that's one of the things that a contemplative practice has given me i think is just that space to kind of see other options mm. that's that's so beautiful brian and when you were in that place of losing your temper mm. could you could you have imagined that you would be a person now who could choose to do that <laughs> or not you know it's when i talk about it like lose my temper and I, I'm sure lots of people have had their experience with losing their temper and stuff like that for me when I would lose my temper it was like I just temporarily turned into a different person you know what I mean and then look you know a few minutes later I'd be looking back and I'd be like what, what kind of happened there or like it's not I don't know it was, it was a weird a weird kind of experience and and I think a lot of it comes from like a certain degree of sort of a kind of vicious combination of a uh, a lack of self-confidence and arrogance, <laughs> you know, that I mean? kind of like a, a little bit of both that play. Um, but definitely, and you know, it's funny, even, even at that, that there's part of me, even though I feel now much more comfortable with my own skin uh, and I feel comfortable with conversations like this and stuff like this, there's still a part of me that sometimes thinks like someone who knew me then will hear this and be like, that's fucking bullshit like use a dickhead <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's fucking like and i think i sometimes catch that even within myself I was like have you really changed or have you just got really good at pretending you've changed <laughs> and another thing that was a little bit of a breakthrough for me was kind of understanding that we have all of these different kind of points of view within us at, at, at any one stage that you have the cynical mm. side of you you have the loving side of you you have the the impatient side of you you have all of these different things i'm one of my first teachers said that like every eye is a crowd you know that the, within every behind every one individual is a host of different thoughts and opinions and 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 i think i think what i've gotten better at 
as as a person um is not not that all these different sides of me don't exist anymore uh but i've just gotten a little bit better at choosing the ones that uh that are a little bit more productive i think um in a wider sense yeah you know i mean not just the ones that kind of serve me within a moment <laughs> yeah yeah like I, I that's i think that's so beautiful brian and i think that's pretty much like that is the selling point of mindfulness and all of these various contemplative practices and i often equate it to like if you think of yourself if you think of your mind as a as a garden or not a garden just a patch of soil a patch of earth with every imaginable seed there there's the mm-hmm. seed of hate there's the seed of jealousy there's a seed of joy there's a seed of happiness mm-hmm. and it's really you learning where to bring your attention is what will grow in your life and that's really all that mindfulness is and you were perhaps someone who would bring your attention to like oh anger this has been a slight against me i will get angry and i and i was i'm definitely like in the same way i'm sure like there's people listening to this and going like oh that arrogant prick and it remember me like i was very much when an insecure person would tend to like go to arrogance to overcompensate and then just this and i think this is the kind of very much the benefits of these practices is that you learn over time that you can totally change your life um, by simply pointing your attention in a way that you want to yeah i think um Um, I think sometimes maybe one of the challenges people maybe have with meditation um, or, or any kind of, again, contemplative practice is, is feeling like you're kind of doing nothing. Uh, I think mm. it's almost like it's almost a cliched challenge people have now with meditation. Like, but I think that's a nice way to think of it. It's definitely one of the ways it's helped me is that is what you're actually doing is you're cultivating certain qualities. You're not necessarily mm-hmm. doing nothing. It's actually a practice of like, I think the gardening analogy is like really beautiful because um, in many ways that's what it is. Um, you're, you're, you're trying to water certain seeds as opposed to others um, or at least give space for, for, for different seeds to kind of take root. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's, um, again, like there's that, that old cliched expression that you're not meditating to become good at meditating, you're meditating to become good at life. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's that simple act, and we talked about this a little bit the other day on the phone, that, that simple act of saying, okay, I'm going to make a commitment every day or every day-ish. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit down for 5, 10, 20 minutes, and I'm going to sit with this, with everything, you know, the whole like kind of shit kaleidoscope that is my thought systems. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit with this, and I'm not going to walk away from it. I'm going to face up to all the dirty laundry that's in my head and I'm just going to sit with that and it will be unpleasant. It will be boring um, it'll be frustrating. It'll be irritating and occasionally it'll be deeply blissful. Yeah. And, but I'm just going to sit with it regardless. Yeah. And, and it's that kind of, it's, it's, it's that act and that the continued practice of doing that that really is the thing that kind of lets you recognize, hold on, I actually have self-control and everything. It's by not reacting in those 10 minutes that you learn not to react in the other 23 and a half hours of the day. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, and over the eight years you've been doing the 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 work, um, the the, the specific work towards working with 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 dudes. Um, have you noticed much of a change? Do you think there's a? Do you think? Do you feel there's a change? Uh, overall, in kind of general attitudes. Um, yeah. Um, um. Yeah. Well, it's kind of it's this idea. I think that once you start to, um, you know, like like your vibe attracts your tribe. You know, in that kind of way. Like, and I've totally noticed that since I used to always feel that I was starved for real male friendship. And I was starved for like spiritual connection, you know, and I was like, I, I want these deep conversations and things like that. And um, it, I then realized, I was like, well, you're not that deep, Connor. You're superficial. Did you know And you, you tend to like, you just want to make everything a joke mm -hmm. and you want to skate over the surface of life. And it was only when I started to kind of get a little deeper in myself and get a bit more real with myself that all these people started popping up, you know, and suddenly I was like, just calling in wise people everywhere. And like the conversation that we're having now, like this is the conversation I have all the time. It's like I run into someone when I'm out for a walk and we have this conversation. It's, it's whereas before I was always kind of on the hunt for these conversations, but didn't know where to get them. And also because I, I didn't really know how to, to have real talk with other people. Mm. And so I think the big change I've noticed is that just that my kind of personal environment has become way more peopled with um, folks who are like prepared to talk about deep emotions in some ways. Um, but also kind of just um, like, I remember the first boys club that I started was maybe like eight years ago. and. Um, it was weird, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it felt like a very weird thing to do. But, but now, like whenever I talk about like, oh yeah, yeah, like I do like men's work and I have men's circles and stuff like that. Um, people are like, oh yeah, cool, cool. I know what that is, you know? <laughs> I, 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 it's not something that I have to explain yeah. anymore. And I think that's, um, that's, that's been, that's been a, a very rapid, there's been a, a huge, huge growth I think in that area yeah. um, I think I think people are just ready for it. men in particular are ready for it and, I, think so. um, I think so and I think I think the events of the last year um, yeah. <clears throat> that stuff a little bit more um, mm -hmm. as I think in, in a lot of ways this last year of all the many things that this last year has kind of done uh, it's kind of forced everyone to a certain extent to sit with themselves a little bit more um and i think maybe potentially um like i just I personally again i see a lot more things being hosted in terms of of men's circles women's circles meditation meetups um all of this sort of like really amazing stuff and maybe it was it was all gone on before and i just didn't really see but but definitely it feels like in the last year it's become a bit more prominent and i think there's a simultaneous kind of a realization from from people who who teach these things um, that how valuable it is at this moment in time and also for a lot of people realizing that 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 how important self-care is uh, and all the different kind of forms that self-care takes um, because i think this is a year where yeah. we all really had to look after ourselves 
in a slightly more intimate way than we would have done before, I think. Yeah, it's, a, it's also this idea, Brian, you know, I think a lot, like life is inherently very difficult. Mm. And um, we can um, kid ourselves into thinking that it's not. We can kid ourselves into thinking that, you know, we can kind of, you know, date your way to happiness or buy your way to happiness or work your way to happiness. But sort of the, the history of everyone uh, and, and the kind of the stories we hear from like so many people in older age and for thousands of years is that these things don't bring sustainable happiness. Mm-hmm. And if anything, like, I think nobody anymore is in doubt that life is very difficult. Mm-hmm. If, if anything, if, if there's been like some sort of a kind of a, a side effect or a benefit or a kind of a knock-on effect of the last year, it's been this sort of, I feel like a global realization that, whoa, hold on, life is really hard. Being a human is really difficult. And these techniques that we work with are kind of preparation for when life will become very hard. You know, it's like meditation is preparation for the worst days of your life. And when those worst days come, and that's a kind of a guarantee, like such is life, you know, life is, is a test in this way. Like worst times are, are just around the corner and, and good times are just around the corner too. But when they land, um, you're kind of grateful. You're like, God, I'm glad that I can and find something that is unshakable, is resilient and is not dependent on the outside world which is difficult and changeable and insecure. Yeah, I, I, I listened to a podcast at the start of the first lockdown by um, Sam Harris. And he yeah. said something in it that really, that really, really resonated um, where he said, who are you going to be in the most difficult moment in your life? So you'll only be the person you practice being. <laughs> you'll, you'll only be, you'll only have the tools that you've, that you've, that you've consciously developed in those moments. Um, and I think now more than ever, people realize the importance of developing those tools. Um, yeah. How have you personally um, found the last year in terms of your own, your own personal practice or your own, is there, any, is there any advice that you would particularly give to people in terms of either beginning or sustaining a contemplative practice in what is kind of like a different difficult time to be contemplative I think because there's lots of scary things to contemplate (laughs) yeah well I I think the first the the first thing probably to realize and this is kind of this was all the teaching of Buddha and then before it in the kind of and so much of the Vedic and Indian teachings is this idea that life is at some level inherently unsatisfying this is like it's it's the nature of of the lives that we live that yeah we 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 have fleeting moments of happiness and this chasing after these fleeting moments of happiness is kind of leaves us a little exhausting and leaves us in a place of always wanting something else so the the kind of the the promise of of all the sages and witches and mystics and kind of spiritual folks of the last thousands of years is that there is a higher form of happiness inside yourself mm-hmm. now if you've never done anything contemplative and you hear that you think oh my god what a load of wank but when you do start to do some of this work 
and you tap into it. And this is what happened to me with my first little bouts of doing a headspace where I was like, hold on, there's something inside of me, like a tiny voice, um, just a sense. There was a sense inside of me that like, there's a beautiful mystery here and I can accept the mystery. And through this mystery, I can develop a different relationship with my life. So really, I think like what, what mindfulness is and what meditation is, is it's just sort of, um, it's just feeding your curiosity. Like we know, like um, <clears throat> scientists and physicists have said for many, many years that kind of the, the chances that uh, our perception of the world around us is actually as it is or like zero percent you know what i mean the world that we see isn't the world that it is even, even our bodies we don't really have such a sense of our bodies and you know this from yoga like it's self-sensing we don't know we don't know the limits of our bodies like it's amazing when you're in a, in a pose in yoga and through just even taking a deep breath you can move your body a whole three inches deeper than you thought you could mm. it's it's kind of phenomenal it's like what is this so this is the mystery and these are the boxes and the restrictions that we live with because we just don't open up to the mystery. We think that this world is very much like a linear 3D place where this happens, this happens, this happens. My parents did this, so I will do this. And their parents did that, so I will do this. And I will do this and this and this. But I would say that um, mindfulness and spirituality is the beginning of playing. It's the beginning of opening up your curiosity and being like, hold on, what if, None of this has to be the way it is. What if I can step out of these feelings of anxiety and stress and the stories that I'm telling myself and just be totally okay in this moment? And the more you do it, the more comfortable you become with the mystery, the more comfortable you become with insecurities because um, you are discovering deep fountains of, of resilience and resourcefulness and self-love inside yourself yeah i think there's um i think there is a lot of power in in in, in embracing uncertainty to a certain degree um mm. i used i went through a, a period of time where I, I journaled quite a lot i used to journal at the end of the day and uh and i used to finish every journal entry that i did uh with this could all be a dream <laughs> like, you know this this uh, you you're pretty sure that what you experience is real but you can't be one million percent sure and i found something kind of um you know something releasing in that that you know that that to a certain extent life isn't as solid and concrete and set in stone as we sometimes feel that it is whether that's our concept of ourselves our our our, our concepts of other people our concepts of what society should be and um, that that you know I think one of the things that that this year has shown me anyways is that like change on a global level is possible you know what I mean it's 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 just the the willpower and the 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 right ideas the right motivation to do it and um, so I definitely for me anyways embracing uncertainty a little bit embracing the mystery uh, is a really kind of valuable thing um, and so the, the, the title, you have a new book coming out as well that I just wanted to ask you about. And the, the title is, it, this is, is this it? Is that the title? Or, yeah, this is it. This um, is it. And so does that kind yeah, of so, with that idea? Yeah, I, I mean, it, the, um, 
it was it was basically I I wanted to write a meditation book that um, cynical me from eight years ago would have read and gone ah okay that's not so crazy you know because <laughs> because I always found that like you know I, I had so many books kind of uh, sent my way mm. and so much um, so many opportunities and then just it was sort of wanted to make a book um where it was just here you don't have to wear lululemon or you don't have to you can just be a regular person who like drinks pints at the weekend and eats fast food and be spiritual you know it, it, you don't have to um it's for everyone it's kind of your birthright and that's really what I wanted to write was that sort of a book. And, and then the title, This Is It, just comes from like what I think is my favorite thing that we Irish people say is just, you know, when those moments in life where everything fits into place and you just go, this is it. Yeah. And how um, I know you, you had your, the background as a as a journalist, so maybe it um, maybe it comes a little bit easier to you or, or, or you know, you've had that kind of practice, but. How do you feel um, or have you found that your, your meditation practice kind of feeds into the creative process? Um, now, I know you're, 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 a lot of your work, at least the work that I've, that I've read, is, is focused on meditation. But I remember listening to a talk from a, a yoga teacher called Michael Stone, and he was asked a question from someone who, who they were kind of worried that meditation would impact their creativity because you know, a certain concept of meditation is like stilling your thinking mind. And there were, well, thoughts is where I get all my good ideas from. <laughs> and so do you kind of find that, that, that uh, how have you found your practice, maybe, maybe um, the impact that's had on, on your creativity? Yeah, well, one thing to kind of bear in mind is that 80% of our thoughts are negative mm. and 95% of them are repetitive. <laughs> so you're, <clears throat> you, if you can, if you can manage to filter some of the negative thoughts and the repetitive ones, then you, you stand a good chance of, of uh, opening up to more of the creative ones. Mm. Like I think most of us would understand that kind of creativity doesn't, doesn't normally come from a place where you're very stressed out. It comes from a place where you are kind of deep in your feelings you know, and deeply kind of working through feelings and looking at feelings. Um, I, I think possibly how it's affected my creativity in some ways is it's, I know that like when I first started writing books, I was very much enthralled with the idea of being the writer and then I would be loved in the world. You know, this kind of way of like, I want to be this person and this sort of guy. And, you know, I pictured myself like, you know, in a, a fedora <laughs> and shit like this you know what I mean and kind of like tan jacket you know somehow it's North Africa or something with a pipe I don't know like that's not a bad thing it's, it's not it's, yeah but you know what I mean like, again it was just like hello like what is this yeah. like so far removed from any of the content it was more just <laughs> the idea of it um so I think I've kind of <clears throat> in some ways I hope I've dropped a little bit of the the, just the the image of it and I think I'm a little bit more um, 
there's there's a great kind of one of the one of the most important sort of adjectives in Buddhism is this one where you kind of you you ask yourself if something is skillful or not. Mm-hmm. You know, where you talk about let's say skillful speech, mm-hmm. skillful livelihood, skillful actions. And so things like say like say gossiping, for example, is not skillful. It doesn't bring anything beautiful to the world if you gossip. And um, so it's the same sort of kind of that same sort of thing has come into my creativity. Like if I'm about to do something, I go, well, is this of benefit? You know, is this is this useful? And um, that's been that's actually kind of been a great way of reducing some of the work. Because I'm like, well, hold on. I I don't think I want to do this now because it's not really going to bring any benefit to the world. Yeah, they actually there's a quote from the Bhagavad Gita, I think, that says yoga is skill in action. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of, and I quite like that concept because I think it brings a certain level of mindfulness to each activity. If you think Mm. of, um, because, you know, certain things that we would do that we maybe think of not really requiring a huge amount of skills, you don't really pay as much attention to them, like, I don't know, you know, pouring yourself a glass of whatever you pour yourself a glass of. But when you start to kind of actually see skill in each action, uh, you know, I think that, you know, you don't want to take it too far the other way that you're kind of 24 seven, super preoccupied with every single thing you're doing. But uh, I think, I think, uh, I think skill is a really nice word to, to apply to the things that we do. Yeah. I, I, I think it, at a very, at a micro level, I think it can be super useful to look at it in relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when it comes to an argument, like if, if you're fighting with a loved one and if, if you can manage somehow in the middle of a fight with a loved one to bring some sort of sense of awareness to what you're saying and not just see the mist. Mm. Uh, and you can kind of go, well, hold on. Is it skillful for me to really argue my point here? Mm. Or would this be better me just um, being open and, and kind of letting, you know, putting the fires out? Yeah. Um, there was one thing I actually wanted to ask you from from sort of a again, maybe like a slightly selfish uh, teacher's point of view, but I think it maybe nicely ties in with this idea of, yeah. of skillful actions, let's say, is that one of the things that you offer, one of the things that you do is um, one-to-one meditations. Um, yeah. Again, it's something that I don't think I've come across before. Um, and I was just wondering about the process of that. Like, is it is it, does it almost, uh, I don't want to, be too kind of broad with how I put this, but does it almost kind of take a, a somewhat of a, of a kind of a, a therapy session sort of form, or is it more just completely and and a guiding a meditation or? And no, it's 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 very much like so. I've also done some training in in life coaching, and um, what what it is is it kind of it, it very much follows some of the paths of like Buddhist psychology. Um, where you're kind of uh, in a one-on-one course, like it's sort of, I, I always, um, I make it a 21-day course, so we would meet four times. And I restrict it to four times because I think it's sort of, um, within those four um, meetings, I, I would like the person to be kind of equipped with their own tools and their own insight abilities to just go off on their own and then no longer really need me. Um, but but what it is, is you kind of, <clears throat> we're, we just so meditation i think is a great tool for examining your habits once you know what you're doing you can set about changing those things mm-hmm. so meditation is wonderful you first off you recognize ah this is how i'm bringing suffering and disease and misery into my life okay 
cool, now I can change it by bringing my focus to the things that I really want. And it sounds facile and simple when I say it like that, but when you do this in the, in, inside this field of like monitored meditation, where you're working with a teacher, um, you can actually like really dive deeply into just your own mechanics. And then you can begin to untangle them. And you can see like you saw that you can, you can go from being like a temperamental angry young man to being a chill young man, you know? And um, it's, it's kind of amazing. Like even at a very simple level, um, we're all so busy that so many of us don't even stop to question what is, what are my dreams? Like, what am I trying to do in life? And by taking time out to do something like, like meditate and, and do a kind of a course like this, you're creating a space for yourself to actually pull back from the mudslide of the modern capitalist world and just go, hold on, what am I actually doing here? And what would bring me joy and what would bring me happiness? It's amazing how so many of us, we really just drift through life with this idea that one day everything will be okay. But, but the reality is, is like, if you want to know how you're going to be tomorrow, check in with how you are right now. And if you're wondering how, why you are right now, just look at your past. And so if, if you can, you know, like I think it's Eckhart Tolle used to also talk about this whole idea that there is no future, there is no past, there is just the eternal now. Mm. And we do live in this eternal now. So if you are not feeling good with yourself right now, if you're not feeling happy with yourself right now, there's no guarantee that you suddenly will become in the future unless you start to do something about it right now, uh, unless you start to put in the work right now. And that's where... Um, and, and meditation really is just such a wonderful and like loving and heart opening technique that just brings you back to yourself. I think, I think that's a really powerful concept for all of us to kind of connect to sometimes that when we do practices mm. like, like breath work or meditation or yoga, whatever it is, that you're not just doing that practice for that moment itself. You're also you're doing it so that in the future, when it's going to be necessary to check how you're reacting or check how you're breathing or check how you're holding yourself physically, that you're able to do it and that it's not just for the present. It's also for your future present. <laughs> that kind of makes sense. Um, but uh, I am um, I think there's I, I, I love the I, I, I only heard this recently enough Um because I used to use the word loads, the word awareness. I think we like hear the word awareness mm. used lots and, and all sort of stuff. But um, there's a guy called Bo Lotto, who's a neuroscientist. Um, and he writes a lot about perception. But he said that awareness, awareness implies a choice. That when you become aware mm. of something, you then have a choice. Well, do I want to continue doing it this way? Or do I want to switch it up? Um, yeah. And I... And I, I, I do feel the guidance of an experienced teacher is, is such a valuable thing. Um, someone who's kind of walked that path before and made it back somewhat safely 
I can kind of tell you the way to go. <laughs> um, it was, it's, it's, it's something that I really kind of promote to people um, is, is finding someone who, whose work you find value in and asking them to teach you, <laughs> you know I mean? to, mm-hmm. to specifically ask them for help. Because um, most people who are in this field are, are usually happy to help. Um, and I think one-on-one meditation is just such a, is such a, a really beautiful resource for people to be able to call upon. It, uh, what, I, what I think is really useful about it too is that, we, you know, meditation is something that we, we um, it throws up so, so many questions once we start, once we lift the lid. And to, um, like, I remember some of my first, like, meditation experiences. It was like, oh, my God, have I given myself brain damage or something like this? <laughs> and, you know, at some, at some, I was like, what is this? Have I regressed into a past life? And not, all of it was just fluff. You know what I mean? All of it was just imagination. And I felt very lucky at that time that I, I had a couple of people in my life who were spiritual and I could talk to. But I think a lot of us, when we come to spirituality, we come to it almost like, we're in the closet when I go, I don't want to really like express these sort of latent growing beliefs in me quite yet. So I think when you have a teacher, it's sort of, it's, it's someone who understands and, and hopefully doesn't judge and has kind of walked the path. Like not that they're on another plane, but they're just a few steps ahead of you. But those few steps are very significant. And, um, and it can be a great benefit. Yeah, certainly. Um, I'm conscious of not keeping you too long. So I really, really appreciate you taking the time and stuff. So yeah, thank you, Brian. one of the last things I wanted to ask you, um, mm. although I feel like we've maybe touched on a little bit already, was um, what do you feel has been the biggest change in you as a person through this process of, 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 um, of self-study, I guess? You know, say that the, the biggest change in you as an individual from from who you were five, 10, 15 years ago? Um, I think the biggest change in me is that um, I'm a little bit nicer to be around. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I, I think kind of. Yeah, that's it. Sort of, um, there's like little things, you know. Kind of, I'll be, I'll be with family, and I can feel genuine love rather than just triggering. Mm. Um, arguments will occur in in relationships and things like this, and I'll notice, like, oh, I'm not trying to defend my position mm. so much. Um, but but all in all, it has given me just a great sense of um, kind of that I'm a sense that like I'm not entirely alone that there is something in me which has got my back and it's a beautiful feeling that you're like okay I can lose so much in this world but I will never lose that and I mean, that's like, you know, it's, it's like even, even last year, like I remember last September, October, I had a couple of days where I was like, whoa, this is like a little bit of depression has crept in. You know, I was in lockdown and I was a little frustrated and things were just dark and the, the clocks had just uh, 
gone forward, was it? No, we've gone had gone back I always get them confused they'd just gone back and I remember just having a period where I was like oh my god it's dark at 4.30 and um, like been visited by a little bout of depression for a day or two and, and then, but then also like in the midst of the depression just feeling like wow I remember when this was so bad that I needed to be medicated for it and I remember when this was so bad that it would just it would completely destabilize my world but this time as a meditator, this came back and I was able to sort of go, oh, Connor, you're just a fragile human. You know, it's, it's okay. Like, this is fine. It's all right. And um, like, there's another kind of maxim of meditation and it's just this, it's like, feel more, suffer less. And so, you know, you, you don't become some sort of AI. I still like, my heart still gets broken. And I still get like deep waves of sadness, but, but it does, it's not accompanied with that desperate fog of confusion that it used to be. And um, I think that's just made life so much more pleasant. That's a beautiful thing, man. Congratulations. I had one more question that I wanted to ask you actually, which, which kind of just popped into my head. Um, when you were talking earlier um because i do notice that you have a, a a tendency to speak about sort of wider social structures such as capitalism or consumerism um, and would you sort of view meditation or again any sort of contemplated compassionate practice almost as a little form of sort of like social revolution <laughs> do you like do you feel like uh, and I, I think I could probably guess your answer, but but do you, do you feel like the more widespread these practices hopefully become, um, that it will create a a a societal shift on a on a on a on a on a, on a much wider scale? One hundred percent. Um, like, and I, I think so. For example, you know, we wake up in the morning, and I used to be like, I used to be a terror for this. I'd wake up in the morning and the first thing I would do before I'd even let myself piss is I'd write out my to-do list. <laughs> and I, I definitely think that was like, that was a product of like uh, a brain that was simply out of, wasn't trained. You know, my mind wasn't trained. So it was always in a state of panic. I was always putting out fires. And um, of course, like, like, as we know, we don't create our own thoughts. Our thoughts are very much a product of the environment around us. Now, we live in a, in a high-stress capitalistic environment where we are taught to kind of take care of the individual rather than the community. So, of course, this is what you wake up with. You wake up in this panic. So I think, like, when you wake up and you recognize, oh, there's fires in my head, but I'm not going to put them out. I'm just going to meditate. Like, it's such a rebellious act. And you're going against so many years of biological and evolutionary biology. And, and I think what I like to imagine now and what I try and do, and I think this is a beautiful thing that people are listening to try and do too. I still make a to-do list some days, but my first to-do is to be. And it's like, what is my intention for the day? Who am I going to be? And that intention is always on my to-be list is open-hearted and generous and then I jump into my to-do list and it's like okay send that invoice you know write that letter do this and da, 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 and so on and so forth um so yeah I I, I would I, I would love it to be uh, a, a force for 
great change and, and so much beauty in the world. I was thinking last night, maybe optimistic, maybe a little bit, um, I don't know, wait, but wouldn't it be so amazing if like um, when we go to, to vote at an election, like on the, on the political posters and like has a daily uh, compassionate practice <laughs> or, you know, as part of yeah. their campaign sort of uh, promotion, like, um, you know, cultivates compassion daily. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. I would be optimistic that, that the next generation coming is going to be a bit more, will be a bit more exposed to these kind of things and, and that will hopefully mm. lead in, into um, very concrete changes on a kind of societal level. Yeah. Here's to that. Fingers crossed. Anyways, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I truly appreciate you um, taking the time to have this chat. Um, I've, 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 I've learned loads. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, and if you still had the time, if you, if you still had the, the, the yeah, if you're still able to do it, to, to just maybe lead a, a short little meditation, a short little moment to, to conclude the conversation, would be a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, of course, yeah. And also, just yeah, just before we, uh, it it can be useful if you are if you listen to this in the car. Maybe don't close your eyes. Um, <laughs> but uh, but otherwise, uh, like very simply, I think just to to meditate. If uh, it can be so useful, just to drop your expectation at the start. Like we have this idea that we have to reach bliss or relaxation or something like that. But let's just see if there's a way that we can just approach this like you might approach a rundown Irish cottage in the middle of a field that you've just stumbled across on a Sunday afternoon walk. You've no idea what's inside. And let's just close our eyes. Or if it feels uncomfortable to close your eyes, you can just bring your gaze down. And you can just begin by taking a deep breath through the nose. And just become aware of where that breath goes when it enters your body. And then take another deep breath. And just follow that breath inside your body into your lungs. And then very simply, just become aware of sitting. Just become aware of this sensation of sitting here right now. The most simple form of meditation is to just sit and know that you're sitting. So just become aware of your body, how it feels, the shape the weight, the tension. And then take another deep breath. And then just watch your breath. And this will be hard to do because thoughts will start to appear. But every time you do notice a thought, 
just come back to very simply being with your breath. Recognizing that you are in a body and it is breathing. And then if you like, and if this doesn't feel too corny, and if nobody's watching, you just put your hand on your heart. Put your hand on your chest. And much in the same way, we can direct our attention towards the things we need to do. We can also direct our attention towards the things we just have done. So see if you can create a very heartfelt thank you towards yourself. Thank you for making an effort to heal and to be happy and ultimately to love yourself. despite how untrained and wild our brains might be. So just generate this feeling of thanks for yourself. And as you open your eyes again, maybe you can try and just carry this feeling into whatever you do next. And I'll say thank you very much to Brian. It was a lovely conversation. And um, good luck with baby. <laughs> well, thank you very much, dude. And again, I um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I appreciate, uh, I'm very grateful for all of the work that you do and you make available to people. Um, we'll definitely put links to all of your stuff in the in the in the notes for the podcast for anybody who 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 um, wants to check it out. And I'd highly recommend it. So. Listen, mate, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Um, I know we don't know Amazing. each other well, but uh, I love you. And um, I hope to meet you. Yeah, I love you too. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I hope to meet you in person sometime soon. Um, yeah. and best of luck with the book. Um, uh, I'm sure it's going to do really, really well. I'm sure people are going to find a huge amount of value in it. Um, I don't know if you want to give it a little plug in terms of where people can 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 find it or buy it or purchase it or yeah you can you can order it online now it's called this is it and it's available at Eason's and Dubray Books and um, yeah there's uh, we we can put the links in the show notes um, and there's also there's a competition at the moment that if you order it through Eason's you can win a one-on-one course with me oh amazing so. Um, Get them while they're hot. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm sure it's going to do really, really well. And Thanks, bro. Congratulations on just on producing a book. I'm sure it was, um, you know, uh, an, a, 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 an achievement in and of itself. Um, so again, mate, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation. Um, and yeah, all the best. Hopefully see you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you would like to support the production of this podcast, 
you can do so by finding us on Patreon at The Breathwork Club and becoming a member for a small monthly donation. As a thank you, members receive additional content, material and videos around yoga and breathwork that I hope will help you develop your understanding of the practice further. If at any time you want to reach out with any questions or queries, you can visit our website, thebreathworkclub.ie. Thank you again for listening.